0: morning everybody good
1: morning good morning
0: morning. Good morning joseph can i tell you how uh jealous i am that you've read the latest uh <laughs>
2: <laughs> morning
0: morning,
1: morning. Uh, the, the latest um pc hodgel yes indeed <clears throat> as well you should be
0: <laughs> um I don't think I may, I may have mentioned this—the this story of uh, of uh, one of the person, people who kept me on track with uh, fantasy fiction. I had moved to a new town when I was 13, and there was a YA librarian. I went up there. I was lonely; didn't know anybody. And she said, "Oh, what do you like to read?" I said, "Oh, fantasy." And I, that was one of the books she pulled out with the Berkeley paperback cover—the very first book.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: So there you go. Hey, Robert. Stephen, I, I don't know. We've,
2: have, have we met before?
0: Oh, hey, Robert. You you oh, yeah. okay. hey. Hi, Rob. It's me. <laughs> Hi. So, just to let you know, uh, this is recording and we will be releasing this to the general public. Um, the other team will be on the uh, third. When was my video not working? Uh, on the third, and we will be released on the 17th. Just um, hey Rick, i'm just mess with my camera. Nice. Okay, and um, okay.
3: Um, hi everyone. Hello. You hear me.
4: Hello. Yes. yes. Yes.
3: I'm working out a little. I'm hearing you through my speakers, the PC speakers, instead of through my earpiece. So I'm working on that. Okay. Um, and then I'll. Oh, hey, there's a way. Yeah. on my okay. video when that
4: is fixed.
0: All right. let me get rid of this. Okay, so um, good morning with us. I'm Hoy, your co-host of the Appendix and Book Club with us today. Why don't you introduce yourselves uh, going from uh, my top left. I see uh, Joseph. Hi. Hi, Joseph.
1: Hi, um, Joseph Hoopman. Um, I have been <laughs> reading fantasy since I could full books off of the
0: shelf in the library cool uh my top right i have adam who's just back from necronomicon
4: hey yeah i'm adam styers and uh i like appendix and dungeons and dragons and all that good stuff
2: all right uh oliver hi my name is oliver i'm an author podcaster and editor of new edge sword and sorcery short fiction magazine which should be available by the time this goes up you have been on a roll oliver (laughs) <laughs> Cheers. So, all right
0: and robert hi i'm robert coleman and i
5: see a lot of familiar faces here from the whetstone discord so i would recommend anyone listening to this who's interested in this kind of thing to go find that there you go and
0: steven
3: Hi, right. um, I am a reader of science fiction and fantasy since uh, since grade school, with uh, with The Wizard of Earthsea, and um, now I'm an author of fantasy and adventure stories. Terrific, and Rick. Last but not least, I am Rick Byrne, and I am very much interested in fantasy and sci-fi, hence being here on Appendix N. I am not an author or many of the other things that the various other speakers have mentioned. I'm just a regular guy.
0: Uh-huh. But <laughs> he undersells himself because he is also the magnificent logo designer of the Appendix N book club uh, as a mere bagatelle and as opposed to his actual professional accomplishments. So there you go. All right. Uh, this week, we are reading... Uh, Conan the Conqueror, also known under other titles as The Hour of the Dragon, and it's also included in the Del Rey edition of The Bloody Crown of Conan. Uh, What editions is everybody working from this week? Joseph?
1: Um, I read it in the Del Rey Bloody Crown, but I also recently uh, replaced all of my old Ace uh, paperbacks from back in the day. So I did read the uh, DeCamp introduction in here just to
0: get some context for how he thought about things. All right. Terrific. I have not read that yet, so I would be interested in your insight there. Uh, Adam, what are you reading?
4: I have the same as Joseph. It's Ace, Frank Frazetta cover with Conan riding a horse into battle. Very dramatic. There you go. Oliver?
2: I have the uh, Conan the Conquer with the uh, the Ace and the, all the Frisette and all that. But what I read was the Berkeley Medallion uh, edition edited by Carl Edward Wagner, which I was very lucky. Apparently these usually got torn out in secondhand. Sorry, this is podcast gold. It's completely visual. There's a big uh, art pullout of the cover. It's
0: pretty fun. There you go. Robert?
5: Oh, the Del Rey, the Bloody Crown. It's volume two, and it has the advantage of the Gary Gianni illustrations which are fantastic
0: absolutely Stephen. i'll come back to you uh
3: rick so same as most people and this the is the frazetta cover um again the introduction same introduction same one cohen the conqueror and then i also just for fun um there is a fantastic graphic novel version of it oh nice which has some beautiful art let me get you say Like, if you can see, this is terrible for the podcast, but damn, it's not. There. There you go. So that's one of the battle scenes. And interestingly, for a graphic novel based on an actual text, it actually, in tiny print, has the entire chapter that that issue is then illustrating.
0: Right. This is that uh, new Sumerian series, right, where they're not allowed to put Conan's name on the cover. Is that right? Uh, that is That's, correct it is yep. nowhere in the cover right because conan <laughs> conan is the box. trademark but conan is in the public domain so this is that french uh graphic novel series i believe all right everyone keep yep. an eye out for steven because it looks like he's dropped off and just remind me if he yep. comes back on um, i have to say if
3: you can get the compiled version of this like the artwork is just beautiful right it's individ- right. it's not inked it's painted and it's <laughs> beautifully painted and really nicely edited dan from the Big text.
0: Right. I've read their Red Nails one, which is a little bit more like I think it's a different artist for each adaptation that they have. Um, but I think this is the third volume of The Sumerian now. So I'm also working with uh, the Del Rey, but um, just to be a show off, I've got the Lancer one. And um, I've mentioned several times my friend James who passed away last year and I was uh, putting, uh, helping with his estate and I came across two copies of our, of the dragon. So <laughs> there we go with the poster. So, uh. so, all right, everybody um, start with the, anyone have
3: a great high
0: Gaxian word candidate for the week.
3: So there are so many items of armor and clothing and weapons, but rather rather than do that, I got two proposals. One, is Dirge, which is like a song of grief or lamentation, which actually appears quite a few times. But then the other one, which I think is Robert E. Howard being funny, is chapter 15, when they're on the ship, the very start of the chapter, he mentions the poop deck. But then Forever after that, he doesn't mention the deck part. He just mentions poop, and it's like he's being funny because he brings it into almost every single paragraph. It's like <laughs> poop, 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 <laughs> poop. poop, poop, poop. <laughs> it's like he's trying to be funny, and I'm pretty sure it's probably not already a Gaxian word on the list. So my nomination is dirge or poop. There you go. Anybody else got a good one? Um, I
1: have. It was actually a pair of words that came in together in the final chapter. Uh, curvetting and caracoling, which is when you're on a horse and it's doing fancy little twisty prancy kinds of things. Mm-hmm.
0: That's of like the, um, the Lipizanners in, the, in Austria, the, the white, the white the, horses.
1: Yeah, al- yeah, although in this case, it was the nomad hordes curvetting and caracoling. Mm-hmm. Cool.
0: And anyone else? I'll nominate
5: uh, Swathings, which I believe I pulled from the uh, Dark Pyramid Vampire Mummy uh, section. It's when uh, another ancient uh, being gets resurrected by the heart. And I think the swathings of the mummy were falling off of him as he was uh, escorting Conan out.
0: That's a good one. Swethings for the moment all right, cool. the wrappings very cool all right, so um Joseph, since you mentioned reading um the decamp introductions and a number of other people had the uh same ace lancer copy um, did you think it had any particular insights that are worth bringing up before we dive into the book in general
1: um It was kind of the same, honestly, as all of the DeCamp introductions, where he does his kind of backhanded compliment. Howard was a natural storyteller, but not without his flaws, blah, 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 and then kind of establishes the historical context of the story within the chronology that they try to create for it. And Gives some fairly precise. Well, this happened two years after the Scarlet Citadel, and X years after such and such thing. Um, so, I, I mean, if you've read one, you've kind of read them all with a bit of crossing out and replacing, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, he's. Uh, I think he really sort of epitomizes that early um, that early nerd impulse to make everything make sense. Um, Mm -hmm. Oliver, I noticed that there's actually an introduction in the hour of the dragon one, which I have also not read. Is there any additional insight there?
2: Yeah, the Carl Edward Wagner one, which was a different flavor of obsessive nerd in the sense that, that he's like, OK, now here's like the actual bio of Robert E. Howard. Everybody else has screwed it up. And then he goes into extreme detail about publication. And like he's like, we even left a typo or two in, you know, uh, the coffee stain is still on one page, you know, from Robert E. Howard's mug, like that level of just like, you know, this is the one true telling is, is his whole angle, uh, along with a mess of publication dates and some very it's pretty obvious he's kind of slagging Carter into camp a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. like, like this is like his edit was a reaction to that,
0: right? Right, and this is I think from the Glen Lord, like the trunk discoveries or something like that, right? Yes, <laughs> right, yes, right. Okay, so having said that, uh, how uh, has anybody had a chance to look at both editions uh, prior to uh, prior to the session and notice any major differences in the text or anything like that? I I,
1: I did some poking around online. My understanding is that the camp largely left it alone. Um there's one specific change that I noticed, which, for better or for worse, um, at one point um in I believe it's chapter four, um, when Conan is in the cell and the black men come in and he beats them with a chain and escapes. Um, Howard describes their language as quote, ape-like, DeCamp changes that to guttural, mm-hmm. which honestly i can kind of see the logic in that right it's like well Uh, but but i I think largely it was not excessively meddled with
0: Mm -hmm. it's like those minor changes they made to the burroughs stories in the early 60s in the valentine just to like yeah just take the we'll take the sharpest edges off we we won't touch the essential (laughs) racism of the situation but we'll take the sharpest edges off um although it brings up the interesting um uh thing later on with the uh him freeing the slaves, although they're still depicted as sort of borderline inhuman on the, uh, the Corsair ship, on the merchant ship. But we'll come to mm. that in a bit. Um, all right. So what were everyone's general impressions? This is the first time we've read a Conan novel. I mean, I guess this has been the ones that are novelettes, like people with Black Circle, but this is a, a true novel. Um, so how does Conan hold up in novel form? Um, uh, Robert, let's start here.
5: So I'll go back to my first reading, which wasn't a long time ago. For some reason, I never read this uh, early on when I read other Conan short stories. Um, I want to say maybe it was the cover of the Ace, the, that great painting. As much as I love Frazetta, I, I was attracted to uh, Conan and Thack on that, with the red cape, those sorts of Frazetta. And so I, I, when I was a kid, I based a lot of my reading, oh, the cover, because I, I didn't know. And that one uh, was, The Conqueror is kind of a scary, it's a really brutal scene. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, I read it uh, several years ago, and I was frustrated that, oh, this is a repeat of all these other stories that I've read uh, it's kind of a regurgitation. However, when I did reread it for this, I just loved it so much more because it's really well told tale and it moves really fast. And it really is kind of like this uh, greatest hits of all the Conan tropes. And I didn't mind it I because I knew what, what it was already. I wasn't getting frustrated about what it wasn't. So uh, just wonderful. I love it. Right,
0: right. Actually, you bring up an interesting point there, Robert, because especially during the Weird Tales era, um, this is essentially ephemera, right? So there was no guarantee that anyone would have read any of the other Conan stories. So every Conan story would potentially be someone's first Conan story, right? Or only Conan mm-hmm. story for that matter. Mm-hmm. Uh,
5: and that that goes straight to the point of uh, who he was writing this for, apparently writing this for a British market that would not have read his short stories yet. So he didn't mind uh, doing what they call a cannibalization. I'm pulling all this from other commentary that I've read. So I don't want to make it sound like I made this up. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, regardless of uh, the validation of those other people who who informed me of this i i did feel like yeah this is just a great story and it's these are all tropes they're all getting reused by all these other authors uh much later on and other their own stories so
0: yeah uh oliver you know i did there at one point when robert was uh making comments what was the uh...
2: Oh, just, you know, plus one to everything Robert said. I I have also come across this. And the fact that it was kind of stitched together, you know, for the British market definitely informed my reading of it when I went through because I saved it for last. This was the absolute last, like, Howard um, Conan that I had uh, to read. And so I wonder what my reaction would have been if I read it first instead and not had, yeah, that greatest hits parade feeling that you get from it, this sort of sequence of vignettes essentially stitched together. I mean, it wasn't quite as bad as, say, um... You know uh, how how Liber, like wrenched origin stories for his characters to when he was like, wait, maybe I should make this a series after having no intention towards doing so for decades. Um, but yeah, 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 it gave it a strange feeling while reading. I, I I found I could never there were some very cool moments where I got sucked in, but overall I was kind of stepping back and looking at it more as an artifact than being drawn in as a story
0: mm-hmm.
4: uh, as
2: a result of things like that. Okay,
3: and Rick, so <laughs> exactly everything that. previous two guys said that that it is pretty much his greatest hits i remember when i was a teenager reading all of the other books but a friend said do not read this one because you'll find it disappointing after having read the others that you'll enjoy the others more so i've kind of i'd forgotten all that. So when i was reading it i remember that conversation i remember that this is why i didn't read this one and it is very much like it's got the giant snake it's got the undead it's got the armies clashing it's got necromancy it's got all of this stuff. It's even got the intelligent ape that also appears in the one of the tower stories. Um and it's it is very much like a rehashing. But again, if like if he had not taken his own life, maybe this would have been potentially a breakout into like mainstream sort of novel that he needed, perhaps. Mm-hmm. We'll never know, unfortunately.
0: Sure. Um Joseph.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think this is also one that illustrates the problem with trying to put all of the stories into internal chronological order the way that decamp and carter did because then what happens is you go from the scarlet citadel to hour of the dragon and hour of the dragon is basically the scarlet citadel stretched they're very very similar stories about conan being kicked off of his throne by evil wizards and skull dudgery and has to go and kick ass and make things right again having said which just taken on its own terms it's a very fun fast moving story there's it it's certainly i don't know if it's howard at his absolute peak but it's certainly somewhere near the higher end of the range Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, adam any any uh yeah yeah i thought it i i uh thought that it it was good overall. It was good, um, but he o- it only hit like the the real best Howard level of writing in spots, you know. But it was good throughout. But like um, it couldn't sustain like the really tight, you know, intense style, you know, of like some of the fight scenes and stuff. Mm. It was a bit uneven, but but you know. It's kind of like a, like Howard story is like really excellent. And this was just very good, you know, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. So.
0: Yeah. Um, does, uh, I'm, uh, jet lag so does anyone remember exactly i mean it's obviously later but was this like the very last or towards the very end of the conan stories that were i mean i know he had some fragments that were not published in his lifetime was this the very last story of his or were there a couple of others that were afterwards he
3: sent it in for publication in 34 and the publisher went bankrupt in 35 if i remember correctly and then he passed away in 36 right so he still had some time uh i think it was in the script was in receivership or something like that for a while so he had to like fight to get it back right. in the UK, which must have been hard. Mm. I think
2: this came before Red Nails. Wasn't Red Nails the absolute last yeah, one? Because yeah, because the, the Del Rey books are
1: everything in order of composition, and you have an entire third volume right okay. after this. So yeah, he, he wrote it kind of mid to late, but it just didn't actually show up until afterwards for for the reasons that have been mentioned right
0: so it's interesting that this is mentioned as both um well in the del uh lancer it's the sort of the peak until the further uh you know decamp howard books but that this is supposedly the greatest hits but he still had red nails to come after and a couple of other great stories to come afterwards um which uh potentially show conan in a different light um the one thing i noticed even though again maybe this is a mid uh mid uh writing arc is that conan to me shows a little bit more hesitancy um but not the hesitancy of someone who's like a young kid who doesn't know what's going on this is now the hesitancy of like middle age someone who's kind of aware of the stakes of things um so a couple times he seems like you know a little bit more hesitant in times like oh like when he's about to get into a fight like you know he's not cowardly but he's like okay well the odds aren't as good as you know they could be or something like that where he that would never occur in some of the other stories, like you know a queen of the Black Coast or something like that. Um, so there's a couple moments like that, um, and even when he fought the, uh, I guess it, it's funny. these little uh, sort of Howardy and Grace notes towards history, so he has like he's really talk about the. Um, it's just like a throwaway moment, right? The uh, the one so basically, basically the Spanish Hidalgo, Right. But he, he gives them a different name. And it's like, oh, you know, they don't answer to anyone but but the king, because there's sort of these minor nobles that could be anyone from a bandit to like a general. Right. And he's basically talking about Hidalgo. So it's like, oh, I, I learned about the hidalgos I'm going to put that in, but I'm going to call them something else. Right. Um, so um but I kind of agree that it was um like one thing after another, and maybe could have used a little bit more room to breathe. In terms of the the scenes, like the the vampire pyramid, like how much more can you pack into that pyramid, right? We've <laughs> <You've> got vampires, <laughs> we've got mummies, we've got evil sorcerers, both to, from different nations. You know, how much more can we put in here, right? Um, so maybe it's like a, a a Roger Moore Bond or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Moonraker, right, Moonraker. Exactly. Uh, I mean, he doesn't descend into uh, self parody, fortunately. So that's 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 there. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's not as um, Singular in voice as like Red Nail or um, Beyond the Black River, which is probably my favorite Conan story. Um, so um, what do you think as a potential uh, first Conan story? I mean, I mean for yeah, for a lot of you it's your last conan, you know, and that you were deliberately holding off. Would you say hold off because it's it's as uh, your friend Rick said, it might disappoint you to read, you know, the other stories or take the edge off of the other stories if you read this first.
2: Yeah, I think it would definitely take something from away from say reading *Rogues in the House*. Like, oh, another intelligent ape. You know? like I, I really do think it would be a bad first read.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. Or well, you might enjoy it as a first read, but the problem is, mm. you would enjoy the other one. You wouldn't enjoy the other ones as much because you go, "Oh yeah, big snake, undead, does it necromance?" Like, it would be <laughs> right. too familiar. Right. So, right. Yeah, yeah. But, and the- you could really- still enjoy it if you never read any other Conan. Yeah.
5: Yeah. And the essence of pulp and and Howard is the short form, right? It's, you just, it's so fast and so brief. And these stories, they're, they're super intense, but it's like, they're just so efficient. And this, that's the one thing this is missing is it's because it's longer, it's just not as efficient. It's not supposed to be
2: as efficient. Mm -hmm. So And I think it might be exhausting if it was that way all the way through. Like, my personal favorite is People of the Black Circle. That's novella length. It's about 30,000 words, if I remember correctly. And it's just got thunderous pacing. But by the time it's over, you're like, okay, you know, wipe your brow. Like, that was great. Um, This, I think, if it kept that up all the way through, it would just be monotonous and kind of, like, numbing. Uh, So, yeah. Uh, Also, if I may, i just like to mention something that I'm curious to hear everyone's thoughts on. Um, People of the Black Circle, I was reading that, and I was thinking, oh, this is kind of cinematic. And then I thought, no, hang on, when did you write this? And and I was looking at certain scenes and thinking, actually, no, this isn't so much cinematic, it feels more like a stage play. There are a lot of scenes where the scene will essentially be over, Conan rides off, and then another guy comes in to say something ominous and then leave. And I had that in mind when I was reading Out of the Dragon. And just in general, it's a fun thought exercise to imagine Conan in your head as a stage play. But also, I'm really thinking of a part in chapter three, which felt like budget saving, even though obviously you wouldn't have to do that in a novel where Conan is still kind of stuck under magic paralysis while the big battle is going on. And it's just, instead of showing us what's going on, we have an underling looking through the flaps of the tent being like, oh man, this battle, oh my God. Oh, now that's happened. Holy crap, a bunch of rocks just fell down and crushed some dudes. This is wild. And Conan's like, oh God, I wish I could get up there, but uh, still, you know. And I was like, why is he writing the scene this way? And all I could think was that like, you know, obviously there were movies when he was um, writing, but I think, you know, most of early Hollywood was kind of a lot more like stage plays. And I just wonder if that was, you know, the, how his imagination worked. I don't know. Just tossing it out there. i do what well, you'll think. It's no. also
3: how Shakespeare does battles. Right, There yes. isn't any battles, but there's people saying, oh, I can see they're coming from the hill. and the, right. So maybe it's just as simple as that. It's just, right. he had read Shakespeare, so he just did it the same thing right well i would throw two things at that one is that it enforces
0: uh conan's sense of helplessness because he has to have this translated to him he doesn't get to see he's paralyzed right um uh and the other thing is just purely a film thing is uh, i think you're right but actually we're thinking about sound films right because film took a film language took a big leap backwards right around this time with sound right um because film language in 1927 is absolutely phenomenal we just look at like murnau you know sunrise or anything like that and it's amazing and then because of the limitations of having to record you know sync sound suddenly everything becomes super stodgy and, and it privileges the, the spoken word again you know um as opposed to the visuals so um someone had just uh, chimed in there i just uh, cla- lost my visual for a second um the other thing i kind of really like with some of these little scenes like i really like the scene where um the the ch- the chapter where we get into Valerius's head, where he realizes like, oh, okay, well, might as well burn this all down, kind of like, you know, <laughs> you know, and sabotage everything because I'll never be my own man, right? So I'll just like, you know, make it hard for everybody. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And so that showed a lot of insight to me, uh you know, psychological acuity in my mind. Um, just if you're nodding and Adam, you're both nodding there. Yeah,
4: he was kind of a twisted villain, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Some men just want to watch the
3: world burn. Burn. exactly. (laughs) Um, And it's funny, he wrote this before Hitler and the Nazis tried to do pretty much the same thing to Germany. It's like, well, we're going to lose it all. So let's just destroy everything and let everyone die. Right, right. So he wasn't even influenced by that. Right. Uh, I mean, you bring this up uh, an interesting point, though.
0: um, uh, You know, we read a lot about the 30s, uh, maybe who's a little bit more historically versed. Can tell it's you know he's written this 1934 i think even by the early 30s people were going to be sure we're pretty sure there was going to be another european war It was just a, a matter of how it would appear and when it would be does anyone have any particular sense of like what kind of vibe um you know howard might have been laboring under like this is you know because it's really talking about he's really talking about a, a world war right because you're, you're traversing the entire continent Right and and things are falling apart. They're talking about this new age of imperialism. He's talking about there, right, Uh, which is you know pretty um pretty sharp on his part. So does anyone have a sense of like you know that this was really looming on the horizon in 1934, or was it really not until 1936, 1937 that people were thinking about this more, at least in the in the US?
3: I think it was later because I think the era that he wrote this in is roughly the year when both Hitler and Mussolini were on the cover of Time as being great people who fixed the economy and got their countries up and running again. So I don't think there was the sense of knowing that this was coming. I think that's just a few years later. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: Robert, you're about to say
5: something. Uh, I think a clue to that might be if we could find letters he wrote at this time to other people and uh, read through those because they, he definitely did. Have opinions on world events that he, uh, I, I have one volume of the H.P. Lovecraft uh, correspondence, and unfortunately, it doesn't go up to this point. It's divided into two. I've yet to find the second. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure they, I know in the ones I have, he, they definitely talk about current events, and it's uh, not reflect well a lot of times on either of them in terms of what they're <laughs> saying. Um, uh, however, that's just looking at it through our modern eyes and our modern perspective. So, uh, but I, I, I know that they both expressed opinions about people like Hitler and Mussolini. I just don't know what they are in particular.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bobby Derry has had some lengthy Twitter threads and blog posts about exactly that kind of thing, which unfortunately I don't have any specific details to hand except to, yeah, they did talk about them and they did hold some views that in retrospect are not great. And it's always hard to say because they both died in the thirties before having a chance to see all of this stuff brought to its logical conclusion. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I, be, I believe, and I can't cite the specific letter, even then, that there was still some uh, differences of opinion and pushback on mm-hmm. various aspects between the two. Um, maybe not what we would consider enlightened, but even then there's like, well, hey, you like this guy Hitler so much, but he's kind of like this and that's very un-American or something like that, or vice versa, you know, that kind of thing like that. Um yeah. Uh, All right, well, let's take it back a little bit towards the story itself. Uh, Are there any particular, we all mentioned this is the greatest hits, were there any particular um, standout uh, things where like, oh, I hadn't seen that before, or I've seen that before, but it was really done you know, really well here, better than it was in some of the stories.
2: I'd love to leap in and claim before I feel like many others would as well, uh, the excellent moment where Conan is disguised as a headsman. And then shows up with the bloody great big axe, ax, uh, you know, to save uh, Albionia. There, that was, oh my god, I love that.
3: <laughs> that was that was a high point for me in the whole book. I think
0: mm-hmm.
3: um, it felt very I mean, through the barbarian. If anyone remembers from <laughs> <some> White Dwarf,
0: <laughs> uh, Conan actually is in disguise a couple of uh, a number of times. Right, I, I love that in you know, especially in the Del Rey here of the picture of him in like the sort of peasant disguise with the eye patch and the slouch hat. You know <laughs> and people very are like, large peasant. Right, right. And we're like, and then people like you know, Howard says, Yeah, he can't he can't really not walk like Conan. So it's surprised no one notices that like, he's not Conan, you know. But <laughs> 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 um how about you add any other particular uh set piece or, or thing that you thought, like, oh yeah, this is this is it, this is the real deal here.
4: Yeah, when he fights the white ape and he's like and he sizes the white ape up and he's like I've only got one shot at this, even though he's in this incredible Conan, he's like, I've got to kill him like right away. And, uh, he, he, he stabs the thing. Like, he's like, I have to risk. He stabs it in the heart. And then like, he, he can't do anything else. Cause he's getting thrown around like a rag doll. And it says this would have killed another, you know, a regular man. It's just like, that's like your perfect Conan battle right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
5: Conan and giant apes are are ape men are yeah. just chef's kiss. Really, all right. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, chocolate wanna, peanut
0: butter or sword sorcery. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs>
5: nope. I, I want to throw in uh, or mention Zolada, the crone, the witch. I don't remember and her wolf. I think she, her and her wolf are just fantastic and and I don't remember another analog from other stories, but please remind me. I just, I liked that she was powerful. She wasn't, uh, just a sexy female, like so many of these, uh, bimbos that show up and not only sword and sorcery, but a lot of the, uh, women in, in Conan stories are kind of just there to eye candy. Um, not all of them, but a lot of them. And, uh, so i just enjoyed that she she had uh, agency and she did things and she helped him so she wasn't just an evil sorcerer she had magic
0: but it did some good mm-hmm. and then they refer to her like going up and down in the countryside and like bringing the word of conan later on um yeah, she's a terrific character. And I don't think one like her appears in the Conan stories, but there are similar figures like in the Solomon Kane stories. Maybe Joseph, you remember the uh the African magician in the Solomon Kane stories? I can't remember his name. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, don't recall yeah. either. Right. But well, you looked like you were looking for a citation there for a second there, uh, just...
1: Yeah, I was just uh trying to refresh my memory. Uh when he shows up in Misantia and meets his old friend Publio, that was a fun little bit <laughs> um where to, yeah, hi. Remember me? No, no, I don't. I really don't. Go away now, please. <laughs> um,
0: and, and, and that, that had a little bit. Yeah, that had a little. It uh, you know, in a couple of the movies, I think. Yeah, yeah. It definitely had a little like film noir kind of like uh, you know, something re- re- coming out from your past, and and people, uh, you know, oh, I, I'm respectable mm-hmm. now. I'm gonna have to put this guy down, you know, because otherwise people will find out about me, right? Um, so, um. Yeah, no, I, I think um even though as you say it's the greatest hits, it's um or it's like the re- it's like a remix album, right? So it's it's like B plus like, right? <laughs> across the board, but not quite the absolute peaks. Um, but I think um what did you also everybody think of like the sort of like uh jet ski ride through the entire uh, you know, Hyborian age and the content being able to see all these lands in the same story? Did that work for you or you feel like, oh well, you know, it didn't. You know i really would have liked it to breathe a little bit more in like this one particular country or land or something like that like i really wanted to be more in stygia or something like that
1: i w- really wanted it to be more in stygia just because that is the whole scary evil ancient egypt thing is my jam and this is the most time that we spend there i believe and it was still like just a couple of breakneck chapters mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I did really like his description of Stygia, like how, like you know, the it's not it's it's the nightlife of Stygia. There is none, right? People just hide away in their, you know, just faceless mansions.
2: Actually, if I, I can wrench uh, in yeah. gaming uh, into our discussion, it sure. did make me think of this idea of like, do we need to role-play every journey between every? You know, set piece kind of thing. And what would it be like at the table for like a single evening to be like, okay, in this scene, you're in Stigia. in this scene, you're over here, and this, scene, you know, and just they keep leaping from the like country to country. Would that be satisfying for players or not? I don't know. I'm just kind of tossing that out. But yeah, what do you guys um, think?
0: Oh, for it. Adam, you have, you raise an eyebrow there.
4: Uh, I don't know. That sounds a little jarring. I don't know mm-hmm. if I would like that as a player, to be honest. Mm-hmm.
2: Like, would it be like, oh, no, we're losing our agency for the players? Or would it be, oh, hooray, one fireworks factory after another?
4: <laughs> you know? No, it would be like you you wouldn't have time to get into it, you know, to like really get it in your set in your mind, like where you're at and what's happening and everything. You have to imagine all that. You have to like, you have to imagine it all. And if you're moving from spot to spot, it's like I wouldn't be able to like keep up and like have it in my mind like imagining where i'm at and everything so for for like a game i
3: I don't know if it would work maybe it would i don't know Mm -hmm. i think it depends on the group of players like you might a gm could cultivate an environment where it's fun to do that the speed through or most gms tend to go okay it takes you two weeks to get to the city blah 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 and like it's all done in five minutes so i guess it depends on the tone that the gm sends because The GM kind of controls so much that the reception of the idea could be part of what they then control in the players. Mm -hmm. So he could set them up to think that this is fun. Let's do this. I love the traveling adventures or not, depending on how they do it. Mm
5: -hmm. You could try. I would say, Oliver, you could try, but good luck jamming in all these conflicts, these combat scenes, because combat in RPGs always takes too long
2: yeah my experience true <laughs> sure, sure uh
0: joseph yeah i'm uh, sorry i didn't mean to cut uh, you off there right? yeah um i, I was
1: going to say you you can even get the same thing with planar travel or if you're someplace that has a lot of gates to different places you don't it's not even that you're alighting over physical travel it's just that you're walking through a door and you're someplace else and there's lots of doors right like a doctor
0: strange with the uh wong just jumping through making his dramatic final <laughs> level of queen of the demon web pits sure sure <laughs> um uh minds to that oliver obviously sort of would build on rick's uh, partly it's the people and the preferences but i think uh, without getting into a long system matters conversation um certain systems would probably uh work better for what you're talking about um we just had uh, joseph cordova on the other week and he was talking about you know how uh, the apocalypse world systems tend to privilege um sort of like the highlight scenes and so that might work better than something that's a little bit more sort of procedural than some of like the old the older osr you know ad first edition gurps or something like that which can be tend to be more procedural and yeah. so um, so people who like procedural games want to at least play out some of those procedures and people who are like, no, just get me to the good stuff where I can, you know, really, uh, you know, shine would might prefer the, uh, you know, fate apocalypse world, uh, the gumshoe version of, uh, you know, C- uh, Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, um, I think there's a place for it. And I, certainly in a convention game, you might have to, um, you might want to have the master scope, but you don't have the time. So you might have to say, okay, well, we're going to do this after many perils uh, (laughs) you arrived at such and such, and maybe you give them um, just to make it feel like it's actually happened, maybe both a boon and a bane for that travel. Okay. Well, you, you know this journey took six months. So you gain one thing. Tell me what thing that you gained and what thing that you lost. You know that from this journey. You know.
2: Yeah, I like that, or maybe like a mini choosing adventure. Just like, uh, did you take the left path or the right path? Okay, you took the left path, so this happened. All right, and now you're here with these advantages and disadvantages, kind of thing. Like give I them might. some sense
3: of agency, but just yeah, like the a list could question. be could be funny it could be like okay you're now married and yeah. you now have adopted a kid and, it's, right. and then it's up to the player to work out the backstory themselves in their own time right and right. just roll it into how they play the character mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah and, and maybe as you say have it be um you know somewhat random so it's not like you just handed something out it's like oh you took the left well that ha ha this happened to you right it's like you took the left well you know there's a higher odd of this thing we'll roll on this table and see what happened to you and we took the left path none of you'll get killed but you might end
3: up, oh, now you got an eye patch, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or in uh, my analogy, if the GM just says, you're now married, like yeah. the player could say, well, through, through this funny event and this funny event, I ended exactly. up marrying an orc. And yeah. So it's up to the player, the sense of agency exactly. to decide what it was. Mm-hmm. And the GM just gives them, you're now married. That's it. Right. You decide what that means. Yep. That should be a fun and... way of balancing both worlds. Right. And you might might be married into this orc tribe,
0: but now you have uh, 300 orcs will come down from the hills and, you know, rescue you at the most dramatic moment or something like that, you know, (laughs) if you you call upon that. Um, Yeah, I think, um, uh, and actually it was a good segue there because, you know, we're right at the point of talking about games, but it's it's a game and story. So I think that was uh, effective. Now, since we talked about that and we talked about scenes that we love... Is there any particular set piece, creature, anything here that you say, oh, I've got to grab that for my next game? Um, Joseph?
1: I was going to say not necessarily something that specific, but the things that I took away from it were, one, this is a way to deal with players who are at the, quote, domain level without getting bogged down in the running a domain. Um, just have them kicked out and have them have to run across the continent to solve things. And it, just the structure of the book, it would lend itself very well to the sort of the rhyme of the frost maiden style campaign book. Just, you have a bunch of discrete sections that lead into each other um, and you could salt in the occasional diversions and side quests and um other things to keep everybody occupied
4: Mm -hmm.
0: no i think it makes sense you're talking about essentially like a high level i mean each one of these chapters reads like a a session or two in a a, at a high level campaign Mm -hmm. right it's like um you know um, more more gp more problems
2: But still getting back to basics, like, I don't know if it's something, there was anything in particular in the book I wanted to steal, but certainly chapter five where he's, you know, you've had all your gear taken, you're in the prison, here's a dagger, get out, uh, you know, happens. Um, that to that felt, I was like, oh, this is classic, all right, that made me think of gaming probably the most of anything in the whole book. Sure, that's
0: like the beginning of the uh, Slave Lords campaign, right, or second or second, second module, third mo- third module in Slave Lords campaign, right, where they mm. wake up in the cave. Um. Mm-hmm. Although D and D never really did that well, because when you're unarmed in D and D, you're really not anything. Whereas, like a game like RuneQuest or, or GURPS, it does that better, you know, mm-hmm. um, because it really gets both the peril, but you still have things you can do when you're, you know, when you're stripped of your general. Resources. Yeah,
2: and D and D Conan would have done a lot of damage to get <laughs> to <laughs> really get out of there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, I suppose with DCC it would still work because you know as a warrior you still have your mighty deeds and stuff like that. So it, you know even with the you know your uh, sharpened t- pinky fingernail you could still do a mighty deed, and that would be kind of you know fun and interesting in that way. Um, like classic D and D, not as much. Um, Adam, what are what are, your, what are you what are you what are you from this story?
4: I like the uh, the four guys. They were from Kital, the yeah. assassins with the snake staffs. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like these and like i like that they were like these implacable foes that just you know every time they met someone they're just like okay well if you don't do what we say we're going to kill you you know but they weren't like angry about it or anything right. they were just like monotone just right, these, right. you know unstoppable um you know guys i thought they were they were weird in a, right. in a good
0: way right. remind me of those guys from um Butch and Sundance, who are these guys? <laughs> 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 uh, what about you, Robert? What are you, what are you yanking? Uh,
5: I, I, I'm going to just think I'm going to do a module based on the pyramid down in Stygia. So I'll do that for, I'll go collab with Joseph, I think, on just having, I, I got to, like you said earlier, I've got a vampire, I've got a mummy. There's all the, it's a, there's an exploration he does. He doesn't he impersonate uh, a priest or a monk yeah. to get in? Yeah. So they use that in uh, the Conan movie, or one of them anyway. At some point, and uh, first
3: one, yeah,
5: yeah. So uh, and and even I love the little uh, he he retrieves the heart finally. So there's a treasure, and and he gets out uh, and away from the vampire by using. Uh, she's already dead at that point. But he gets out using the mummy to help him get out. So I just, that was probably my favorite little twist is that you think, okay, after all this action, the now he's going to have to fight the mummy. But nope, the mummy's <laughs> like a good guy, basically, and helps <laughs> him to get out.
3: So yeah. there you go. How about about you, your, the, your point about him impersonating the priest, I was wondering if they specifically were drawing on that in the first Conan movie, where to get into to get the uniform, the disguise, he, and this is obviously a play on Schwarzenegger's size and everything. And he's like, he's pretending to say, I'm so ashamed of my body. And then the priest (laughs) is like, Oh, tell me more. (laughs) And they go off behind this rock. And then the next scene, you have, you see Schwarzenegger with the, the clearly much smaller priest's uniform on. And it's like, there's no way he could have fit it into that, but they were just having fun on set maybe, but like maybe it was written differently in the, Like John Milnius, I think his director said, Oh, why don't we do it this way? Because you know, you got quite a following in that community. We should make a (laughs) reference to that or something, or if it's just coincidence. But it's a super funny moment, totally out of character with the rest of the movie. And what I'd I'd be stealing, apart from that scene, I tried to get into uh, some kind of game. Um, What I would steal is I loved the sense of magic being rare, really awe inspiring, that it wasn't like the Jack Vance. I've got these ingredients and this much time and this much energy. It's like a formula. Bang, I did this one thing here. It's more kind of like I had this general sense of magic. And I thought it would be great to game whereby there must be a game out there that does this, where the player sort of describes what they, their intention and maybe the ref, the referee gauges their level of experience and essentially how much kind of how much they thought they put into how it might work or why it might work, and then they roll a dice and see what happens. Because right. there's an element of that in it, where the rain that's meant to come, that's meant to cause a flood, doesn't quite come. It's just kind of a trickle of rain and so on. Right. So this sense of it not being super specific, like D&D tends to say you affect this many people in this much radius for this amount of turns. It's super specific. And I love the kind of awe-inspiring unknowingness of magic in this mm. book and all of the Conan stuff really. Right.
0: I think Mage uh, would be the closest that I can think of from back in the day of systems I've actually done. Um, but I think White Hack or some of the sort of, uh, you know, White Hack's halfway between OSR and sort of story, you know, open-ended story might be able to handle something like that. Um, I keep on going to Fate, even though I'm not particularly versed in Fate because Fate is very sort of narrative-driven in that regard. Um,
3: I think there was a Komen RPG. I think Dan Alexander had it at one point. The but mo- there's be... the
1: modifius 2d20 mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. And i'm just wondering maybe does anyone know how the conan rpg handled it
0: i have not played it so i, don't, I don't, i'm not sure but, uh, <clears throat> you Just you know shame on me but <laughs> <laughs> you know, only so many hours of the day um i mean i guess uh, supposedly uh even with something like dcc you know you spell burn, you roll high enough, and then it just gets kind of wonky, and sort of you can sort of describe at that point, right? You know, because it sort of starts going off the chart at that point. Um, but that's that's really wild, whereas magic seems much more deliberate. And it's when it's, ma- it's marshalling your strength. You know, Southaltoon uh, is not like casting spells left and right, right? He's like, really marshalling his strength, and it says, you know, even, even then, you know, pikes and axes still are, are used to a mage, right? So... <laughs>
2: Yeah, I just I say real part plus one uh, on what Rick's saying because I do love when magic in a story, and This is part of why I like the appendix and in general, and like certainly pre, you know pre D and D explosion. It's it is it feels weird and dark and wonderful. It, it does not feel like it's just a tool that you pick up and use like a flashlight. Yeah, and, more, and in particular in this tale. Mm-hmm.
1: But could I could I just say that it's interesting that I think we've gotten this far in the discussion, and that was the first time that we've mentioned Jaltutun, who. Ostensibly, I guess, would be the big bad of the campaign, but really in the book, he doesn't do much. He spends a lot of his time
0: stoned. Right. (laughs) Yeah, he's, he's, I think, just kind of rather bland compared to some of the other, you know, the B level villains in this book, right? I mean, I think Valerius is more interesting. I I talked about that. And even Orastes, you know, who's like kind of aghast at the thing that he's raised, you know, later on. Mm-hmm. um and so yeah he's just uh not quite well, at the it, level
3: it would take yeah. away from all the kind of the smaller villains so it's almost like he's at the start and at the end and in between doesn't really interfere with the plot because there's like the snake and the intelligent ape and the vampire and the other mummy and the ghouls like there's just so much it'd be way too much to have Zalto Toon throughout it as well right i like think the narrative where you're
0: Sorry, I think narratively what you're saying makes sense, but the Jotho tune just never has to me that much flavor compared to some of the other great evil wizards in the in the canon, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's what you're alluding to. One of the things that you're alluding to there, Joseph. So.
2: Coming back to our talk of like you know was where uh, Hitler and Mussolini and all that stuff swimming around in Howard's head while writing this, I'm probably just patterning back on it here. But I do wonder about him like being of a previous age, the last big evil empire, like the Second Reich maybe, and that he's being brought back. You know, we're bring we're gonna you know bring something incredible from the past to inspire us to make a whole new evil kingdom. Uh, and and I'm also just wondering, did anybody read the Hyborian Age essays anytime recently? Because I don't know if uh, his country there, Acheron or Akron or whatever. Was that actually mentioned in the original Hyperion Age, or was this something uh, Robert I, just like whipped up for this? I, I Didn't that come up on the Whetstone board recently? It and did, and I can't remember. That,
1: that this story yeah. is the only place where Acheron ever gets name dropped, at least within yeah. Howard's own writings.
2: Okay, so
5: yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's picked up by other people. I think Mike Mignola, a comic artist and writer, right now has a comic mm-hmm. um, using the name. But oh. I think uh, that was said on the Whetstone Discord that this was the only story it's
3: mentioned in. Right, right. It does so sound maybe very Clark Ashton Smith-ish as well. <clears throat> mm-hmm. In some ways, like a, a an empire where necromancy was considered normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that, I mean,
0: again, it's it's you know it's uh, considered sort of like the last story, but it was actually re- written relatively sort of amid his uh you know conan writing so maybe it's something that he might have name dropped a little bit more if he had had more time you know working with conan Uh, sure
2: sure and and uh, coming back to gaming i mean this kind of brings us to the the thing of like you want the big villain to be the big villain and you're like oh check out this big crazy wizard and here's some cool backstory and then everybody's like yeah okay whatever and they get really into like the ape (laughs) it does feel like we kind of had that happen here (laughs)
0: Right. right right uh well and also i think maybe um how it's such a visceral sort of like grounded writer, like, you know, evil wizards, is, uh, you know, I mean, he does them well, but it, you know, evil wizards is kind of in, uh, Clark Ashton Smith's vein, right? Like if you really want to get into like the, the head of an evil wizard, you, you go to Clark Ashton Smith, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, big snake, you know, Angry Monkey, Robert e. Howard's your man, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense, right? With Howard drawing from like you know everything he knew in Texas of uh, wild animals and tough oil, uh, got yeah. workers and stuff like that. I don't know if he knew anybody who would have been a good basis for an evil wizard.
0: Yeah, right. You know, Lovecraft. Yeah, nah. <laughs> <He's> like,
2: <laughs> yeah, in his writing circle, Lovecraft. but yeah, nobody, yeah, uh, nobody in
3: his daily life, but yeah, in his. Uh, um, actually, just Oliver, you mentioned there about his life in Texas. There was one line that I thought was. Out of sync with the rest of the book, but it's beautifully written, where Conan says, or the narrator says, dawn spread across the grasslands like a prairie fire. And I thought, that's so specific to Texas. Mm. I was thinking, do they even have prairies in Hyboria? But I just thought that was beautifully written. But like mm. there wasn't really that much other language. All the, all the other languages, like flashbang, that was almost like poetry right in the middle of all this other stuff. Right. It would be very easy to miss it. there was a couple um that
0: specifically but there was a couple of uh times when he did do some like interesting differentiations of like the geography like when as they're sailing down further down the coast you know the cliffs disappear and it's just sort of grasslands that are almost level with the sea that just spread all the way back and you see the ziggurats you know far away you know shining in the sun um Hmm. he talks about um what is the uh, Southern Kingdom of Aquilonia? The whole time, it's basically it's basically Provence, right? And he's talking about Poitain, um, Poitain. You know, he's talking about Poiton and and how they're different a little bit. Um. So, um. So he does have a sense of, um, physical terrain and geography that, uh, you know, uh, HPL is like in his. Freaking library all the time. You probably looks out outside a window to know. <laughs>
3: you know? I think going um, to the
0: library would mean going out of the house. So he might right, not right. even be in the store. Yeah. And so Clark Ashton Smith, what's the difference? Because I think uh, Smith, we know for all these really weird exotic landscapes, but Clark Ashton Smith also is very effective describing Northern California. Right. And, and um, if Durleth had only, you know, written Lovecraftian stories set in the upper Midwest, he probably would have been much more highly regarded than him trying to write New England stories. He probably never even went to New England, right? But if he'd written more about the upper Midwest, I think he would have been, you know, uh, much more lauded. To be
1: fair, Lovecraft did have a lot of very effective landscape descriptions
0: of that specific... Of New England, yeah. ...New England area. Oh, no, without a doubt, without a doubt. Every time I, you know, went up to Maine or something like that as a kid, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> get me back to Boston, please. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, all right, well, uh, we have a little bit of time left. Any other thoughts that uh, any of you have that we haven't touched upon yet? Uh, Robert, I guess, maybe.
5: I was uh, wanting to mention to everybody and get people's uh, feedback on this. A couple of times in the story, when they're talking about sorcerers, they mention the Black Ring and that and the immediate story written before this in the Del Rey is the people of the Black Circle, the sorcerers of the Black Circle. And it was only in this reading that I kind of matched those two together in my head. So I'm I, I assuming the Black Ring is the Black Circle, but do you all think that's correct?
1: i think the um, camp probably thought that was correct okay
0: right i think he's drawing on the same thing and um i don't know how many stories he's writing so i think uh uh you know i think he was not such a stickler for having things completely match up but he's getting he's there for that vibe and then of course the decamps and the carters of the world and other nerds mm. like us have to make things like you know like, oh no this is like this is exactly it like, you know and it was on September third that Conan did this, you know. Not the fourth. The fourth he was doing something else, you know.
5: <laughs> uh, Joseph, think, yeah. did you did you, did you see that connection made by De Camp at some point?
1: Um, I I mean I'd have to go back and uh, reread the Ace books, but it it seems like a very De Campian thing to do. To if he mentions a black circle and a black ring, and they're both wizard societies, to conflate them. Yeah,
0: right. I do like I did, the idea of there so. being like sort of a a specter level, uh, you know, <laughs> l- evil wizards. So that you know, he's he's you know he's got gold. You know, he's fought Blofeld, and now there's you know the the new head of Specter, <laughs> you know, right? Mm-hmm.
2: So, <laughs> um, if I can uh, toss in some trivia, just I forgot there's actually a very good afterward to the Carl Little Reiner uh, edited version of this with a whole bunch more stuff, including a detailed history of that experience with the British publishers, which I should have reread before this. But one piece of trivia, just, uh, we, was mentioned earlier that there are, you know, it was the witch and there's women in this that are not just there as eye candy, et cetera. And it's mentioned in here uh, by Carl to its heroine, Zenobia. Uh, she goes the distinction of being the only one of Conan's girlfriends who is never rescued by Conan. And on the contrary, Zenobia must rescue Conan herself. Other than that, Zenobia quickly fades from the novel and one wonders if Conan made good on his professed intention to make her his queen. Conan was a great one for making promises to his girlfriends at the close of an adventure. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I just thought that was kind of fun, but yeah, it's true. She rescues him.
0: All right. And then off he goes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any other last thoughts, uh, Adam? Um, I thought uh, just
4: to... Uh, we haven't mentioned the uh, Cult of Asura yeah, and i thought they were really cool too in the story and i like i think it would be like a good like uh flavor for your cleric characters they can look through any disguise and uh i thought that was like a cool ability that they had all right and um you mentioned just like how many freaking disguises did conan have in this story and every all of that it's just like is this an Edgar Rice Burroughs story or what, you know, so I don't know.
0: Disguise and I like how they're really perceived deep. as being um, rather sinister, you know, in the in the grotto society and stuff like that. And it would be interesting to have in your D&D campaign, like, what is nominally an evil cult, but, you know, maybe they're lawful evil, and so they actually don't want society to like fall down, and you can actually, you know, ally with them for certain purposes, you know.
4: Yeah, well, no, they weren't evil at all, really. Right, they just right. had that reputation. Mm, exactly. You know, And Conan was like, uh, Mr. You know, broad-minded, tolerant Conan said, you know, they can do what they want. And then he, he got, you know, and then they paid him back. So they were an interesting part of the story. Mm -hmm.
1: And in gaming terms, it's, it can be useful to have someone like that kind of waiting off in the wings, just in case you need to throw a little help.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and uh obviously in game systems that are are sort of, full of like have uh bennies and and, and sort of player driven uh you know uh you know savage worlds or like that where you can sort of do a little uh, player driven like hey i throw down this token and uh here i am and there's, there's this guy uh, i know this merchant in this town right i think there's scenes like that so i think that those are things that you can pull, whether it's this cult or you know the the again i'm forgetting the name of the merchant that he used to you know sell all the stolen goods to and stuff like that um and then you know that the he recognizes the people who used to be on his corsair crew you know who are now the galley slaves and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so i I think there's room for that i know that certain you know sort of more um sort of old school games like no 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 everything must be established in play um i think i'm in that halfway i don't want like some player to hand me like a 15 page dossier and like, no, you have to pull on this, uh, you know, the background that I wrote on this character. It's like, nah, uh, that's going right in the shredder, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's going to my, my circular file. It's like, okay. Uh, you have a certain number of, like, I, I don't really want to know your backstory, but if it helps you play your character, that's just fine. Right. And, and, uh, we'll let you, uh, you know, pull upon that backstory, you know, in a reasonable way, you know, you know, every couple of sessions, if you want, you know, here's, here's a, here's a, here's a, little token, you know, let let me know, all right. And so I'm, I'm always fine with that,
3: you yeah. know. could say, well, my seventh wife was an orc, so let me see if I know somebody. <laughs> I just keep wondering about what the dowries are for these orc weddings, but uh... <laughs> I know you see to get the backstory you could create. All right, right so.
2: yeah,
3: and it could um, be an ex-wife, so it doesn't impinge on the current gameplay. Right, right, right.
0: <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, we're on the uh, roughly on the hour, uh, but we've got a little bit of leeway here. So, any other thoughts, uh, recommendations? How how does this rank? I mean, it sounds like it's a uh, B tier Conan, which is still
3: a uh, A level sword and sorcery in, in people's minds. But I think I would tell people if you only have time to read one Conan book, read this. But if you've time to read several, don't read this.
0: <laughs> it's I a time saver. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> makes sense. Uh, how about you, Joseph? You're your smiling there
1: yeah no i i agree it's it, it's a very good story on its own terms it's also i think it's i think it would come off a little bit weird to someone who has a lot of understanding of conan just from the popular image that floats around in the ether to come to this story where he's the king of a kingdom and he's actually fairly sophisticated in a lot of what he does and he's not fur diaper horned helmet wearing slab right right um but i i I would enjoy it i would i did enjoy it i would recommend it with some caveats as mentioned
0: Mm. adam
4: oh uh you know i would i would say that this is not the best conan but it's still pretty darn good yeah
0: Mm -hmm. and how about you robert
5: uh, agree with all of the rest of you. I would not pick this as a first choice. I would say pick a shorter story. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, I, it it's set, it seems to be set in a more uh, late medieval or even early Renaissance type period. And I don't know that I think that setting is, he's moved the time forward. A timeline for it as well as as conan's own life time period so the younger conan i think would be uh more appropriate as a first it just if you're going to read one just read a shorter one it'd take right. you less time
0: so. right Although uh, Oliver had interesting experience on his podcast with someone uh, introducing him to, to uh, Tower of the Elephant as their first read, and that that did not sort of really uh, land, we
2: completely slid off it. Yeah, <laughs> and and not the only person. This was, is was my, my episode. Was the whole point to have a very young person read a bunch of Sword and Sorcery and be like, "What do they think?" But uh, also, my my dad is in his seventies, completely bounced off Tower of the Elephant. So I don't know if we can pin it on age there. But, uh, but yeah, it's not maybe, you know, a lot of people were on the West End server were just shocked agog. This was not a, a perfect introduction. I think if I wanted someone to read uh, Conan as a leader of men, I, I, again, I, I say this all the time, but I would say people of the black circle. In there, I, I really like him as not a ruler, per se, but a bandit leader. Who, his loyalty to his men is the driver of the whole story. And it felt so much more coherent and has all of the elements that make a good Conan story, in my opinion. I would I would recommend that mm-hmm. over Hour of the Dragon if I wanted to give them an Hour of the Dragon-esque story, if that makes any sense. Uh, as mm-hmm. I said out loud, but uh, but yeah, yeah, I would I would, I would probably just plus one to what everybody else has said about like you know if you want to recommend someone the greatest hits album to start with, sure, Hour of the, Hour of the Dragon, but otherwise something else for sure, right, right?
0: Yeah, but it's interesting. The Tower of the Elephant was uh, was a non-starter for some people. You would think that would be the the one, right? You know, yeah,
2: yeah, that's no, <laughs> very odd, All
0: right? Um, but this is why we uh, you know. Uh, Different strokes, right? So,
2: (laughs) well, yeah. And like we we love to think of Robert E. Howard as the obvious gateway drug for the sword and sorcery as a genre. But you know what? Some people, it's going to be Clark Ashton Smith. Some people, it's going to be, you know, for that uh, person who was on my episode there, it was much more of the classic stuff, uh, Gérald Le Jury by CL Moore. She got way more into that uh, than Howard. And I I think it's important if we want to grow the audience for this genre we love, we got to be open to people not digging Conan at all, even, potentially, which sounds blasphemous, but here we are.
0: Right, right. I think we definitely have to do like a little...
2: Well, what do you like? If A, then B?
0: Okay, maybe you're more of a faffer gray mouser. We'll slip that one in, but we'll be careful. Some of the ones are a little skeevy. We'll get this story instead of that story. You know, bizarre. Yeah, bizarre, select reading know.
2: list for those guys. Yeah. Right, right, right. So. <laughs> you like bastards? Here's Kugel. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, there you go. Okay, well, everybody, um, it's been great seeing you again. It's been It's been a while. Hope to see you again soon um Mm -hmm. and uh we will uh i think it's two weeks it's neverwhere uh is the uh, next story and then what else is coming up soon oh also um just so you know the current poll is dead heat so if you haven't voted already (laughs) vote that's (laughs) domo arigato mr roboto um all right uh neverwhere in two weeks the farthest shore next month as long as well as hard to be a god and then in november it's um a Master of gin and A Gathering of Ravens. And then we're going to close out the year with uh, Paul Anderson's Operation Chaos and then uh, Michael Chabon's Gentlemen of the Road. So that's a, that's where we're going for the year. And then I think we have the January picks up yet, but I have to double check the uh, the calendar. So uh, very cool. Uh, any other uh, things before we go on? Uh, Oliver, can you stay on for a second after we... Uh, I will. All right. All right. All right, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for coming out on. For me, it's a little dreary Sunday in Brooklyn. I hope it's nicer wherever everybody else is.
2: Blue sky Toronto day.
0: There you go. (laughs) Thanks for all right. All right. See you. Bye bye. Bye bye.